0: I had a good time with two young people over the area of baptism and going through uh, uh, Acts 2 there and, uh, and understanding that repentance takes place before baptism and that to understand what repentance means is to be able to turn from your sins and be able to receive the Holy Spirit. And also in this lesson, I hope we can explain the difference between the Christian having the Holy Spirit in his life and the Holy Spirit working in the unbeliever's life. Big difference, but yet the same Holy Spirit. We need to understand that, yes, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that's in our life. And oftentimes, what happens, and, and it is correct biblically, but sometimes sensitively, we do not recognize. The Holy Spirit working in us. So we're always saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit would have us to do. Because Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the one who died for our sins. Jesus is the one who purchased our salvation. And Jesus said that he would come and glorify him. So it's proper that it would be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But what wants to be recognized in us should be this this is a working of the Holy Spirit. This is a working of the Holy Spirit. This is a working of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be able to recognize that working. Not so much to give him praise, though he's worthy, yes, to be praised, but to acknowledge his presence. To acknowledge his presence. His presence is more than just speaking in tongues. His presence is more than just running around, shouting and yelling. His presence is much more than me just getting excited. It's an everyday event, His presence. It's an every moment event, His presence. Because He's with me all the time. Now, understand this simple little thing. Satan is not afraid of our preaching the Word of Christ. Boy here in the United States, we got more preaching going on. You think everybody would be converted. You think everybody would be sanctified. You think everybody would be saved. So he's not scared of preaching. He's not scared of people proclaiming the word. But what he is afraid of is this is people's commitment to Christ. He is afraid. Of people subjecting or submitting themselves under the rule of Christ. Because when you submit yourself under the rule of Christ. Then you're going to find yourself in battle with Satan. When you submit yourself to the rule of Christ. That's when you'll find yourself having victory over the flesh. When you set yourself to be set under the rule of Christ, you will understand that by God's timing, he is exalting you. And Satan cannot do anything to keep you down. You're being exalted. So Satan's not scared of us preaching the word. And yes, without the hearing of the word, you'll never come to salvation. But what Satan is really scared of is a Christian who is committed to Jesus Christ and under his authority and is obedient unto Christ. Not to man, but to Christ. Not to man, but obedient to Christ. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is something that we need to understand also. Because oftentimes we teach it in effect... That the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to teach the believer. Yes, that is true. Is to do this for the believer. Yes, that is true. To be there to guide the believer. Yes, that is true. But his main purpose of his coming is not so much to benefit us. Although it does benefit us. But rather his coming is for the purpose of promoting the program of Jesus Christ by providing the believer with the proof he hasn't been doxed, he hasn't been deceived that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God and in the life of the believer to empower him. He's there to promote God's program Through us. Through us. He is the one through us who becomes the witness of Jesus Christ when we witness. You're going to witness two ways. One, out of the very voice and power of the Holy Spirit leading you to witness and even what to say or you're going to do it just out of flesh, out of a command and out of duty. And the latter is far better, that you do it. The first is far better, that you do it with the leading of the Holy Spirit, as he gives you words to say to an individual. And he'll do that. He'll guide you. But his main purpose is to promote the program and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we benefit from that. But his main purpose is not so much to benefit us as it is the program of Jesus Christ. The program that God set forth from the very foundations of this world. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. Catch this principle. Faith is the principle by which we obtain life. It's by faith, it's in our believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith that we obtain eternal life. That's how we attain it. Now, how do we live it? And that's where we find people struggling. Because living it becomes the difficult part. A lot of people accept Christ. A lot of people believe in Christ. But they don't live for Christ. Because they've never been taught how to live for Christ. They're not working for Christ. They're working for who? Self. Christ does not deny us a nice home. He doesn't deny us a nice car. He doesn't deny us the right to dress in a proper way and so forth. He doesn't deny us the good things of this earth. Because he's already said that he, he desires to give us the very desires of our heart. He also has told us that, boy, he will supply all of our needs according to what? His riches in Christ Jesus. And boy, if God gave his very son for us, what would he deny us? God's not out to deny us anything. But you and I have to learn how to deny ourselves that He might be glorified. That's the issue at hand and in life. Are we teaching ourselves how to die to self that is not about us, that it really is about Him? Faith is the principle by which we obtain life. But obedience is the principle by which we live out life. Obedience unto the Holy Spirit. Obedience to God's Word is how we live out life. Young people, they live out their life the first approximately 15, 16 years. And somewhere in that 15, 16 years, everything goes haywire. But in those first years, they live out life in obedience to mom and dad. Whatever it is that mom and dad is asking, that's what they basically do. That's how they're living. But somewhere it clicks on, this is my life. It's time for me to live. It's time for me to do. And the whole process that as long as you live and parents are alive, You live somewhat in the shadows or the image or the grace or the learning or the teaching of parents. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. But we learn how to live the Christian life out of obedience, not out of intelligence, out of obedience. Yes, it takes intelligence to study God's word and learn God's word. But it takes obedience to live it. To live it. Now, it is through faith and obedience, we through the working of the Holy Spirit, we carry out the program and the work of Jesus in our lives. Just like you go to work, And for six or eight hours, you're working for that company. And you're working under the rules of that company. You're going by the guidelines of that company. And you're there for eight hours doing what that company would have you to do. It's not an issue. They don't come up and ask you, would you like to do this today? They have taught you what your job is. They direct you in the work you're going to do. Even if it's going over there picking up this, if it's going over there mopping this, if it's going doing this, they direct you in the work that they would have you to do. So is the Holy Spirit. He directs us in the work that God would have us to do. He directs us. Because our purpose is to live for Him. And we work all of our waking hours... We work on behalf of the kingdom of God in some manner, in some way. We never take a break from that. We never stop living the Christian life. We, step, we never separate ourselves from God and say to God, I need a time out. I need a break from you. I need to go to lunch. It's time for this. No, that never happens in our spiritual life. He's always present with us. And because the Holy Spirit is always present with us also, he's always talking to us. He's always edging us. He's always ministering to us. We have to train our ears to hear him. We have to train our minds to recognize his voice over the different voices. Because you're going to hear the voices of mom and dad if they're not here. I still hear my dad and mom's voices at time. You're going to hear the voices of other people giving you advice you're going to hear the voice of demons whispering in your ear and so forth. And then you're going to hear that voice of the Holy Spirit also. And you got to determine whose voice are you listening to. See, we think people crazy when they say they hear voices. If we're all honest about it, we all hear voices up here. We have to distinguish whose voice we're going to follow and whose voice we're going to listen to. Because it is through faith and obedience, we, through the working of the Holy Spirit, carry out the program that God has intended, the work that God has intended for us to do, the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 14 with me. Verses 16 and 17. Now, stay with me in thought as we go through this. And the illustration part, I'm going to try to hold from being too graphic, but yet very detailed and intimate to maybe fulfill what some of the Greek words might say. No, I'm not going to give you a Greek word study. But I am going to help, hopefully, guide through what is being said here to a degree. So in John chapter 14, picking up in verse 16, he simply says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor. Now, I never thought about that word, another. But Jesus is saying, he's going to give you another counselor. Someone who's going to, in a sense, take my place. Because What has Jesus been doing? He's been teaching. He's been training. He's been giving counsel. To his disciples and so forth. And he says to them, He's going to send you another counselor. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you here to figure this out all by yourself. I'm not going to leave you here to lean on your own understanding. I'm not going to leave you here to try to decide which wise man is telling you the truth. I'm going to give you personally a counselor that will speak to you. Just like you heard me. Just like you said at my feet. And just like I counseled you and guided you and taught you, so will the Holy Spirit do. For the Father will give you another counselor. And he Goes on from there, and he says, I give you another counselor to be with you for how long? Forever. He's not going to be a part-time. He's with you every moment of your life. He's with you wherever you go. He's with you. I had the privilege doing two things this time on my trip. One I would get up in the morning, I'm up usually around four thirty, five o'clock, and I go out and, on Harold and Dorsey's little patio part there in Columbia. And there I open up at least two or three books that I'm studying from. And then I would pray. And the Lord spoke to me while I was praying. Pray with Harold. Then we had this little debate. I don't speak Spanish. He don't speak English. Why should we even pray together? Pray with Harold. So when I was done studying, Harold comes out. And I said, Harold, we're going to pray, and I put my hand I don't know way I knew how to say we're going to pray and hope he would pick it up and, and he said, gracious, see." So we grabbed hands and we prayed for the next three days. Harold made sure he was out there and he would come over to the table where I was studying, and he say. And we would pray. And then one evening what's daughter's name? The lawyer. Milana. Milana Malina. Mela. Okay, we got it close. And um, we were all in a discussion. And we have cousins and nephews, those patios full. And we had a discussion. Because in Ecuador, um, in Colombia, they'll tell you real quick, we're a poor country. And I shared with them, yes, your country is poor, but you are not. You don't have to be. Because poorness is also a state of the mind and not a reality. And the man Melina said to me, we are poor. And I said something back to Melina. I don't know exactly what it was, but my, I could pretty much guess that. No, you are not. Boo, 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 whatever I said. But the next day, the Lord kind of like convicted me to apologize to her. And I asked Elvis if she would interpret my words. Evans did, and I apologize to her if any way that I offended her. And I told her, i like to take you to where I get my ideal of finances from. Because the Bible speaks one-third of the Bible, and people don't even know it, one-third of the Bible talks about our finances. It talks about money. So my whole thing is, okay, uh, We're going to start Matthew 25 with the talents. And the first thing we're going to show, because they'll tell you real quick, America's rich. Well, what they don't realize, we got a lot of poor folks in America. But to them, America is just rich. And I shared with them the talents and how God gave them out. He did not give them out equally. He did not give them out equally. He gave them differently. But what he expected from each one of them was the same. That they would have invested and earned something from it. And as poor as you might be, whatever God has given to you, he's expecting something that comes back and enters. And that's where my idea of finances come from. And how to gather it little by little by little. But we had about a half-hour, 45-minute Bible study over that subject. Uh, and my third trip over, but the first time, really connecting with the family, and we all sat out there on the patio just in the Word of God. And they opened up their translations. Her, uh, I had Eva reading from the, her mom's Bible, but they opened their Bibles up on their phones and so forth. And even their aunt, she's trying to get it on her phone, but she got an old phone. She got one of those phones like Elaine has. You're not going to get the Bible on it. (laughs) But the thing is, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who guided that and brought that whole thing together. And And the thing is, is this here that you and I need to understand that obedience to him, hearing him, and following through with him. Because he says he's going to give us another counselor, another person who's going to talk to us, who's going to guide us through, who's going to tell us what to say, how to say it, when to say it. He's going to give us another counselor and he's with us forever. Now, also... What well, I want you to see now is that word that comes up in this next part. He says, boy, the spirit of truth. That's one of the titles or names of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth. Because he's always going to speak what? The truth to us. The truth to us. He's always going to speak the truth. You can never say you didn't know the right thing to do. You just didn't do it. Because the Holy Spirit will always speak to you about the right thing to do. You'll always hear a no up in there. You'll always hear something that says, don't do that. The Holy Spirit is there to minister to us that we can understand what is right. Why? Because today, evil or sin... It's called right. And if you tolerate sin long enough, it becomes right and becomes something that we praise rather than saying it's wrong. For wrong, Isaiah says, becomes right. And boy, right becomes wrong. And it shows a nation or a people in confusion if you do not have the Holy Spirit. This is not in my notes, but it's coming. The church is the last battleground over the issue of homosexuality. And Satan and this world, through all of this legal stuff, is going to pound the church into submission that we all say, like most of the communities are saying today, it's okay. In Cincinnati, for the first time, they will raise the flag of the LTBG or whatever. And you have a lot of Christians fighting among themselves also. Are they born that way? Is that the way it should be? Is that the natural thing? No, it's lustful, it's lasciviousness, it's a sexual sin, same as adultery. That's fornication. And we're going to see that a little bit more here in this text. It's wrong. It was not what God intended. And we are the last group that has to be beaten into submission to say, it's okay, it's right. And when we do that, we're no longer really the church. So in that verse 17 he goes on and he's saying the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him and we'll come back to that because it is neither because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now look at two qualifications there. It doesn't see him it doesn't know him. The word see here Is simply, it is the thought, did I get it in there? It is to be a spectator. It is the thought of being able to concentrate, to look at something and study it. You don't see the Holy Spirit personally, per se, in a body form, as the disciples or the apostles saw the Lord Jesus Christ. But what you should be able to see and identify, is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and the life of someone else. That's what you're looking. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, That what he does in the life of somebody else. Evans was going to the airport, and we're in line, and uh, a lady, uh, uh, just a few people, just about three or four people up in front of us, she dropped a $100 bill. The Evers went over and picked it up. Now, that person that dropped it didn't even know that they dropped it until she said something. And she went over to the lady and she said, ma'am, did you drop a $100? And she checked and she said, yes, it must have fell out of my ticket holder. And she gave it back to her. Same thing happened again. This time it was just a fifty dollar one. Another airport. Yeah. And she gave it back. The Holy Spirit so convicted me because I said, Boy, i would say I'll I i i would put a hundred dollars in my pocket and wait till somebody said, Did anybody find a hundred dollars? Lord, I know that's wrong. <laughs> and yet both times she found the person and gave it back. Now anybody who can use $150 is interested but gave it back. Not even knowing maybe. Doing what is right no it's not mine now finding the person it belongs to and give it to them is the right thing to do seeing the Holy Spirit at work in a person's life seeing a person at work and that's what I, we are a spectator of we're spectators of each other seeing the Holy Spirit work in each other's lives and then being thankful that the Holy Spirit is working in that person and not envious. Why don't you do that in my life? Why don't you do... No. As you mature, it'll happen. As you grow, it'll happen. As you become worthy and dependable, it'll happen. And, and the thing is, you are spectators of what the Holy Spirit does in an individual's life as God transforms the life, understanding if any man, any woman, any person is in Christ, they are what? A new creature. And what you're looking at is the newness that is taking place in their life. You're watching them put old things behind them and watching all things become new. You're watching the Holy Spirit do a work In transforming a person's life. So you're that spectator. And you look and you behold. And sometimes even without. The thing is. Wow. They really are changing aren't they? They really are different. Yes. Why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's taking place. That you have the privilege of seeing. His work. In their life. And you view it attentively as you constantly are looking at them. And you're discovering the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. You're discovering the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Now he says that you would also know you don't only see But you know. But you know. And that word is to learn. You're learning the work of the Holy Spirit. You're learning how he works. Far beyond what scripture could ever declare about him. You're seeing him do some difficult things, some impossible things. You're seeing him turn the lives of some people that you would have never thought could have been saved. Or people who he worked with, who you say, I wash my hands of." And yet the Holy Spirit's right there working. He's right there working. And you get to know him by his works. You get to know him by his character. You get to know him because he is a person that you're watching and you're seeing him perform. And he says, you learn to know him. In marriage, the first day after you say, I do, do you really know that person? We've been married 54 years, and I'm still learning. You never stop learning. Why? She's always changing too. We're always learning about each other in this relationship. Even though we think we know everything, there's still yet more for us to learn of each other and to discover about each other. And in that, I am learning to know. And I'm gaining knowledge of that person. I'm gaining knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And what you have to be willing to do is gain knowledge of the Spirit of the living God. If you don't gain knowledge of the Spirit of the living God, you will be void of His presence, and his actions, and his capabilities. And that's one of the reasons I think many individuals struggle in their Christianity is because they're not aware of the helper, the Holy Spirit, who is present to really guide them and minister to them that somehow Satan had duped them, that somehow Christ saved them and left them all to themselves. It's like a father and mother giving birth and then taking off. And the child is there to fend for itself, period. But it is getting the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, learning the Holy Spirit, beginning to understand about the Holy Spirit and begin to perceive the work of the Holy Spirit that you understand that you are not the one doing this on your own, but you also learn in your perception of the Holy Spirit and perceiving of him how to wait for him to lead and guide you in whatever you're going to do. The Jewish element was simply this here. They saw a relationship as that, as intimate, as discovery, something you didn't know about each other before. Elaine and I dated for five years. And in five years, we broke up about two or three times, but always found ourselves back together. And the young lady I thought I knew, I really didn't know. But honeymoon night, my eyes were open because everything was revealed. That's what that scripture's saying. That's what I did at first, too. I had to get out of my chair and say, Lord... But what he's talking about is this. Because he says it in the scripture. Uh-oh, let me get back up here. Follow this train of thought in scripture here now. But you know him. For he lives with you. And will be in you. One. He will live with you. Now I'm going to get a little graphic. But not too graphic. Show me a man and a woman. Who live in the same house. Sleep in the same bed. And the second don't follow. Not only will he be with you. But he'll be where? In you. And what he's talking about. Is the intimacy of that is strictly between the believer that is different than the unbeliever James knows Elaine and I know Donna yet there's a thing about Elaine James don't know and there's something about Donna I don't know making myself clear There are things about Don that James know, only James know. Things about Elaine, only I know, and no other man should know. And the intimacy between you and the Holy Spirit is just like that. It will be things that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life that nobody else will Really? No. But the evidence of his working is what they see. But the intimacy of that working and that joining together in that working is between you and the Holy Spirit. It shocked me when I really looked at it a little further and deeper than Greek word of the intimacy that is there in this That the Holy Spirit is intimate with us. He won't only live with us. He will be in us. That we would be one in a sense. One in a sense. And he wants that intimacy with us. That he might guide us that we might hear him. Now, I know pretty much Elaine's voice or a lot of other voices (laughs) because of the time we've been together. So it should be with you and the Holy Spirit. Nothing is hidden And the Holy Spirit reveals himself in this personal relationship with you. He holds nothing back. But he feeds you as you have need. Now, you know him. Why? He lives in you. And will be in you. You know him. An intimate relationship Intended only for the believer. Not for the non-believer. Take it back in the marriage. Elaine is intended just for me. And I'm intended just for her. Nobody else. Nobody else. It's an intimate relationship. Between the believer. And that is not saying the Holy Spirit is not having a Relationship with a non-believer, but it's different. Because with the non-believer, he's present, but not really living with. And he's not within. But he's there to convict them of sin, of unbelief. So there is a relationship. There is a communication going on. Because he's the one who's trying to convict them of their unbelief in Jesus Christ. Now, for you and I, he's trying to convict us that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, that he is God, and every word that he said is true, and he's trying to convict us to believe everything Jesus says, and we struggle with it. We struggle with it. But he's there to prove that everything Jesus has said is true. It's true. And he says the world cannot accept him. Why? They will not accept his what? His truth. And when they will not accept the truth, they stay in a state of lostness because they will not believe in the one who has given their, their life, his life is he might be saved you have to believe that then after you believe it something else has to take place if any man be in Christ behold all the old things begin to do what pass away in other words you can't believe and stay in the same condition you're in behold all things are now becoming new who's bringing those new things the Holy Spirit. How is he doing that? It's through the transformation of your mind. And if you change a man's mind, you change a man's condition. If you change a person's way of thinking, you change their condition. And he says the world cannot accept him because it can ne- neither see him nor do they know him. But for the believer, we see and we know. We see and we know. Honeymoon night, I saw. I would never dreamed of in five years that we dated. But now I saw the total person. She saw the total person. No wigs came off. No artificial limbs came off. We saw the real individual. And it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal the real individual, Jesus Christ. Now, it is not the same relationship it's a different relationship because in John sixteen eight he says he come to the world of unbelievers in a sense to do what? Convict them of sin. But the spirit of truth And it's strange how the Holy Spirit authors this and he names it right up front. The spirit of truth. Why? We're going to deal with truth. Guess what? The unbeliever doesn't want to deal with what? Truth but the believer should be ready to deal with what truth and we begin to deal now with truth that's going to be presented to us by the holy spirit as he dwells and lives in us and as we explore god's word he begins to develop that truth and that change of thought and the way in which we're going to live and the way we're going to exercise life go over to john 8:44 John 8, and pick up verse 44 with me. I want you to understand from the day you were born, you were also conditioned. The day you were born, that you took your first breath, the God of this world began to condition you, begin to shape you in a sense, to live in his world, not in God's world. And coming up until you meet Christ, seriously willing to follow Christ, all of your teaching has come from the God of this world. All of your teaching has come basically from a demonic type host. When you are born again, you're reintroduced to a new education in which now you're going to learn of the things of God. And many of those things would be very similar to the world. But your perspective changes. Your perspective changes. God had to change my perspective as a young man. Because as a young man, I thought, okay, I get married Elaine has the children. I still go out on Friday and Saturday night. My perspective as a young man, I bought me a brand new car every two years, and I was rolling and down on Howard Street, Wooster Street, out Barteries and Barbaton, out here over in Canton on Cherry Street. Some of you old enough to know what used to happen in the places, I was rolling. But she's at home. Now here comes the problem. When I'm rolling, I'm looking at what I shouldn't be looking at. When I'm rolling, I'm dancing with what I shouldn't be dancing with. On our 50th anniversary, I said one thing to her that really came true to me for a long time. The only one I really want to dance with in this life is her. And sometimes we dance in our bedroom. We'll put on our 60 music and we'll dance and, you know, and she'll wiggle a little bit and, you, know, you know, yeah, yeah. I do my little moves, you know, you know. But the Lord had to teach me as a man be at home and be content at home and to appreciate what I had at home. Now, this is not just for men, it's also for some women. They can't wait for Friday night and Saturday night. Eh? But the same thing that's happening with the man's happening with the woman. One of the things that taught my brother something, he was in a bar with his lady friend, and who walks in but his wife with her male friend. And that checked it both. And it changed their whole relationship. He tells us, he's come to convict the world of sin. But just because I become saved does not mean the Holy Spirit no longer convicts me of sin, of wrong living. He continues to do that. But in also doing it, he begins to teach me truth about how God wants me to live on a daily basis. So he is called the Spirit of Truth. In verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. Before you are saved, that's who you belong to. You belong to the God of this world. You belong to Satan. And he will teach you. He will teach you how he wants you to live in this world. So Satan will say, It's okay. It's okay to have sex and not be married. He'll even rational, you're a sexual being, aren't you? Didn't God give that to you? You ought to be using it. No. It's only meant for the marriage bed. And the whole process is that he'll tell you. and He'll teach you how to lie. Why? He's the father of lies. Eh? He'll teach you how to steal. Why? He's still. What is he doing? He's trying to steal a kingdom that he can never have. And he's a murderer from the beginning because he's not the giver of life. There's only one who is the giver of life. Only thing Satan can do is take life and rob from it. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, that is you want to do that. Why? Because you don't know what's prompting you. You don't know what's urging you. One of the worst things that Satan has deceived us with is this, is that we think we can control ourselves. You get angry and see how much control you have. You get to looking and messing around see how much control you have. You just lose it. And then when it's over with, you're saying, why did I do this? Why did I do this? But now everything has been committed, has been done, and you're sitting on the side saying, why did I do this? Because the devil... Those demons have tempted. And you had not the strength to say no, because that no comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the right correction. This is wrong. This is what's right. He corrects. And he goes on, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him, when he lies, he speaks the native language, for he is a liar, and the he is a liar, and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, take the transition here. Yet, yet because I tell you the truth, you do know, you do not believe me, Jesus. You not believe in me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. If you belong to God, you'll hear the Holy Spirit speak truth into your life. Because you'll hear what God is saying. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to who? To God. Why? The only thing the Holy Spirit is trying to do is convict you of your unbelief first. And once he can convict you of your unbelief and you start believing and you start studying his word and getting into his word and growing in Christ, you begin to hear the Holy Spirit in a different manner. Therefore, you are not left to your own reasoning, to your own understanding, your own rationale, or oh, the best wisdom of man but you can hear directly from God as he speaks to you now in John sixteen fourteen, he goes a little further with this um, because the purpose of the Holy Spirit again is to speak truth to us he wants us to know truth above all else and the reason that he wants us to know truth that he's going to guide us in truth why because he wants to renew our mind he wants to renew our mind. And it's, in so, it's so important that he has the opportunity to do that, is to renew our minds. He wants to be able to do that, and we need to give him that privilege of doing it, renewing our mind. Go to Ephesians 4. We're going to run through a couple of these verses real quick, kind of like stay with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Remember the, your father the devil. He's already taught you but then you're going to learn something new and something different. He says you were taught with regard to your former way of life how you used to live. The things you used to do. Those were taught and you were taught about them because we bring up the comparison of what's wrong what's right. He goes on and he says, "Former way of life. To put off your old what? Put off your old self. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if God just did that? And we wouldn't have to struggle with it. But he says, this is what you do. Why? He's giving you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. You don't have to cuss no more. Now, that's not saying that a cuss word don't come up in the mind. But it don't come out here. Because there's something now between this and this, the Holy Spirit, that gives you an option now of changing. I don't have to say unkind words. I don't have to say degrading words. Why? Because there's something between my thought and this that I have the option to change it that I can say the same thing, but I can say it with words that are kind and gentle rather than with words that are harsh and mean and degrading. There's something there now called the Holy Spirit that begins to transform my mind, my attitude, my way of speaking, my way of doing. And he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupt by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new in what? The attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self You're the one that have to do that. But the Holy Spirit's here to help you do it. You put on the new self. You can dress one way that can be very provocative. You can dress in ways even with men now. Sometimes pants are too tight in the hole or they're too low. You can teach yourself to dress appropriate for the events in which you are going to. You can teach yourself to dress in a way that is not causing eyes to. But you have to want to do that. Satan teaches our young people and even some of our older people who try to look young to dress in a way in which is degrading to the individual. As you age, your dress style changes too. Now, some older folks need to wear a little more looser clothes because there's too many rolls and too much dropping. Some old men don't need to wear a certain type of pants. They need to get it up where the other part goes on down here and it's not down here and this is sticking away. We need to learn to dress, but guess whose choice that is? That's our choice. He says, you put on and you put off. But if you decide to put on what I know you can't put on yourself, I've given you the helper, the Holy Spirit, to put it on. Because the world's going to tell you to dress this way. But what you draw is all the wrong attention. You tell my daughters, you dress a certain way, you're going to attract a certain thing. Period. Period but if you dress properly, you also help ward off. Now you've got to also use wisdom in who you're dating. Because men come in sheep's clothing and can be very, dece- very deceitful and deceitful as they come. And he says, you put on, you take off. Up to you. Romans twelve two. Romans 12, 2. Again, why the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing? Because you need to understand he's changing your mind. He's working in your mind. He's doing something that you can't do in and of yourself. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So if you're saved, I no longer conform to the pattern of this world. I don't dress like this world. I don't follow the trends of this world. When my brother uh, passed, he had this nice gold chain. And I have it. I don't wear a lot of different things. I don't wear gold chains. I don't. It's just something that me and the Lord, we settled a long time ago. And it's just locked up in my little safe. And there's just things that I will no longer wear. It's not because I can't wear them because I have a freedom to wear them. But I understand this principle. People watch me and what I display is what they will do. And I don't want to display the wrong thing. I don't want to display the wrong example. If I could run around in my blue jeans with my hammer in my side and my handkerchief over here and and my big old pants on, I would do it every day, seven days a week. Because I love my work style pants and so forth. I don't know how I got Elaine because a lot of dances I went to and parties, I'd be in my blue jeans. I wouldn't be in bell bottoms. I wouldn't be in this. I wouldn't be in that. I'd be in my work pants. because that's what I enjoyed. He says, again, going a little further, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Now, let me give you something. Man cannot renew your mind. I made a statement the other day because we've seen it happen when we worked with Shelter Care. You can take the best psychologist with all the medication in the world. They really can't help your mind. But as we got kids into the word of God, we saw a mind change and a mind healing. When I worked at Akron General, I was allowed to go on the sixth floor as clergy and so forth. And everything on sixth floor is some type of demonic issue. Mental issues also follow many demonic issues. But even there, if you can change the way the person thinks and their perceptions and how they see things, and allow the word of God to bring a peace to the mind, because the mind races and there's too many thoughts when you allow God's word to bring you in peace he slows the traffic up and you can begin to distinguish and he just simply says there by the renewing of your mind who's going to renew your mind? the Holy Spirit because how you used to think he doesn't want you to think that way he wants to renew it. He wants to refresh it. He wants to give you the thoughts of Jesus and that mind of Christ. He wants to do that. Philippians two, one and two talks about the same thing. The mind. The mind. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. Now, turn to Second Thessalonians real quick. Trying to just save a little time. Second Thessalonians. Go to Chapter 2, verses 10 and 12. Look at what he says. Let me get there. And in every sort of evil that, evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love what? Now, again, what is the spirit called? The spirit of what? Truth. They don't love what? Truth. They don't want to hear truth. To love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion at some point in life after God has tried to reach you through his word and through the Holy Spirit and you don't want to hear. God stops and allows you to believe the lie that you want to believe. He stops and allows you to believe the lie that you want to believe. The other day we heard some disheartening news. And it was about a pastor and She went to her husband and she said to her husband, I no longer want to be first lady. I no longer want to be married to you. And he was just crushed. And there's nothing he can do to change her mind. The only one who can change her mind is God. There's nothing he can do. The church is growing and and just flourishing and moving. But she no longer wants. So she's packed up, took the kids back to where they came from, back to their home where her family's at. And he's left here brokenhearted, all to pieces, what to do. When somebody don't want to make the right decision. You can't make them make the right decision. For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You're not willing to change. Very quickly, we're going to hit the next part here. Because see, he says he will not speak of himself. And he will not. Why? Because the Holy Spirit recognizes that it's about Jesus, not about him. It's about Jesus, not about him. He will not speak of himself in verse thirteen. He will not. Turn over to John five thirty. Catch this that goes on. John chapter five and verse thirty. Look what Jesus says. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please who? Myself. But him who what? Who sent me. I'm not here to please myself. But him who sent me. The Holy Spirit takes up the same position. I'm not here to please myself. I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here. To talk about Jesus. 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 That's who I'm here to talk about. And he follows that same pattern. That he's here to talk about Jesus. And no one else. So in that verse 38 now. In 638 he comes back. And he simply says it in this fashion. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will. That's where he's an example. No longer should Gus Brown seek Gus Brown's will, but God's will. No longer should you seek your will, but God's will. But to do the will of him who sent me, I'm doing his will. It is not his program It's all that he's saying the Holy Spirit is saying, it's not my program. It's not my show. It's not about me. It's about him. It is not my work. It's whose work? His work. His work. And then it even goes further in a sense. It is their work. It is their work. And Matthew 28 where he tells them to go make disciples there's a reason to say father son and holy spirit it's the recognition of all three who brings you to a point of salvation the father jesus says no one can come I'm sorry, no one can come unto me, Jesus says, unless the Father draws them. Father has his work to do. Jesus says, no one can come unto the Father, but by who? But by me. Jesus does his work. The Holy Spirit has to convict us to see that we need the work of Jesus Christ, in whom the Father has sent to perform such work in saving us. Therefore, when he says baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is bearing witness of something. It took the Father, it took the Son, it took the Holy Spirit to save us. It takes the action of all three. And we can go all the way back to Genesis 1.26 where it says, let us make man. Let us. Because it's never one acting independently. It's always that action together of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see it at the baptism of Jesus even. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They do it together. Not so much individually, but in agreement that this is what we're going to accomplish in the life of men and women. He will speak only what he hears. He speaks out of the counsel and wisdom of the Trinity. So when you read there, he speaks only what he will hear, he speaks from the counsel of the Trinity, of the Triune God. He doesn't take off on his own. He speaks from the counsel of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit about our lives. When Jeremiah says God has a plan for your life, it is not one person. It is the Trinity. It's the Godhead. It is all three. The law of the land is not given by one man or one voice. It is given by what we call the Supreme Court's seven judges. And all seven speak into an issue until they come to a conclusion. And then one speaks it to us. But all of them have had input into it. When it comes to your life, my life, any of our lives that are believers, it is the counsel of the Trinity. It is the counsel of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that impacts then your life. It is not just Jesus. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's not just the Father individually, uh, individually. Doing or, 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 or going off on their own and doing it. It is the collective wisdom of the Godhead that affects your life. Go, go to Ephesians 1 4, and we'll close. keep in mind Genesis 126 where he says, let us. Picking up in verse 4. For he chose us. It's not just he. It is the Godhead. His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now understand this. It's not that the Father chose me, then the Son opposes or the Holy Spirit. This is not a thing of voting. Okay, I, I, somehow it's an agreement between them in function and action and decision. And therefore he says, boy, that he chose us For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose us in him, not just one, but in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why? All of them plan the salvation of man. All of them work on the salvation of man the triune God functions in that unity of oneness. Not individually. Though yes, they do function individually in a role that is prescribed for them. But it's following through with the plan or the program that they have laid out. In him, before the creation of the world, All this was planned and discussed before the words, let us. Why? Because other things were created before they said, let us. And here is lying us to know, God talked about us before he ever created man. That That should knock the socks off you. Because the other things were created before he ever said, let us make man. But in doing so, he laid out the whole plan for us. He didn't come up and say, oh, we need to make this change. Oh, we need to make this little change. Oh, we need to tweak it over here. God is the God who knows beginning from end. Jump over to verse 14. And he says, who is a deposit, a guarantee? Who is that? The Holy Spirit. So you got the Father, you got the Son, and you got the Holy Spirit here in this chapter. The Holy Spirit acts as the guarantee of the promise of what has been discussed before the foundations of this world of the plan of salvation that God would ordain for man to bring us back to himself. Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. How did you hear the word of truth? Through the Holy Spirit. The gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked In him with a seal, you were marked in Christ with a seal of the Holy Spirit. Promise the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He guarantees me of my salvation and all that I should receive from Christ. You can look at the other verses on your own. The three three is the is First John three three, because if you have this hope in you, it keeps you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, who is bringing you to that very image of Jesus Christ, it keeps you. It keeps you. It keeps you. And then. In John 1, Jesus said to his disciples earlier, what I have to say to you, you cannot bear it right now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak to you of the things that he will hear from me. And it says that Jesus is the one who comes with full truth. With grace and truth. With grace and truth.